Hi guys, welcome to Talk with Claude. Uh, so this is uh, my journal uh, for, um, what are we today? Ah, so this is Saturday, March 14th, 2020. Um, so I was out and about today. Uh, looked like there was a lot of people in the grocery stores uh, out and about. Um, Want to talk a little bit about so I've been thinking a little bit about uh, the last week what I expect is coming up talking to people um, around town got in contact a little bit with uh, store owners and trying to get the pulse out there what's going on so I mean things have changed obviously I think there's a real hope and maybe a feeling amongst certain people that this is temporary, it will pass, and then we'll be uh, back to normal. But I don't think so. I think um, if you've been following what's been going on for a long time now, you know this um, this event was actually long overdue. Everybody's focusing on coronavirus. You know, because this is coronavirus and then all these bad things happen and people started buying toilet paper and there was a panic and now people are like buying massive amounts and trying to resell them at inflated prices. But the coronavirus was the pin that pricked the bubble. But we were in a bubble for a really long time. Um, to understand that, we have to go back to we have to go back quite a ways actually but basically every time there's been a crisis um the central banks of the world led by you know the uh the federal reserve uh in the states a lot of the time they they get out there and they reinflate the market they pump a whole bunch of money we saw this with the bailouts in 2008 2009 um those bailouts have inc had increased over a period of about five years and they tried to taper back and they couldn't and then they brought back you know like 50 billion dollars a year increased that to 500 billion dollars that's half a trillion dollars every month that's that's crazy stuff right and where's all this money going it's it's going into mostly the stock market and in reinflating housing prices so we for sure, we saw some inflation in regular items, but not that much. Um, we saw a phenomena uh, called like uh, shrinkflation and stagflation, which is kind of like companies, instead of raising their prices, they start to diminish either the quality or the quantity of their products and try to maintain the same pricing, which is just a way to at first hide the inflation. Um, and also, uh, stagflation is kind of like, you know, if you're, if your income was allowed to grow at the same rate of the prices, then there would be this runaway inflation, uh, really fast. So by keeping the prices of everyday goods relatively low, um, and having a stagnation of the the wages you know the increase is very small so you're 
constantly losing your purchasing power, but it's very subtle. It's very a little bit at a time. So you can always make these little compromise more, but it makes it really, really hard to put money aside. Uh, also with these extremely low interest rates, there's no, there's no motivation to put money in the bank because you put it in the bank and, and there's like service fees and all that. And you end up with less money after. I mean, when I was a kid, you'd have like a 10, 12%, 16% interest rate. You'd put money in a bank, maybe, you know, you'd save up, you'd get a, I was a kid, so you'd get like 20, 30, $40, you know, between a few relatives for Christmas and your birthday, you put it in the bank and, you know, after a year, you get a little bit more back. You're like, okay, and you learn to save that way. Now you, you learn that if you leave money laying around uh, too long, if you leave it laying around at home, then it just gets stolen. And if you um, leave it in the bank, it gets stolen by the bankers a little bit at a time in service fees. So, uh, and, and this is all for the privilege of being able to lend out your money, right? Because they, they need that money there to, to lend out. So, um, you know, it's a different world than, than when I was very young. And you can accuse the, 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 the young folks of not saving all you want. They're, that's just their reality. It's just really hard to save. I mean, not not saying that you can't put a bit of money aside on your own and make the sacrifice of not you know buying that extra cappuccino or whatever it is you drink and and putting that money aside slowly but it's just not an environment that's as conducive to um putting money aside as it was in the uh in the 60s and the 70s uh now <clears throat> Uh, the markets, you know, it's very different now. All this money that they've pumped into the markets, the Federal Reserve and the states announced that they um, added $1.5 trillion into pumping up, pumping the market back up. Now, you have to understand, we have a crisis here that's not just a debt crisis like it was in 2008. Right. So if you have a debt crisis, there's a freeze up because people don't trust each other to be able like banks don't trust each other to be able to repay debt. So they don't want to lend anymore. And you have a freeze up of the entire system. Now you add liquidity, you add money to that kind of problem and you'll put off the day of reckoning because all of a sudden people, you know, the banks will have the liquidity they need and everybody's reassured. And so things can start up again. But here we have the inflation of this debt bubble that's been going on, you know, for the last since um, 12 years now. And that was a fix up of a debt bubble that happened for eight years prior to that. So you have that situation and now you have a disruption in supply chains. Okay, I was talking to store owners today and right now they're really uncertain as to whether or not they're going to be able to bring in goods into their store in the next few weeks and how much of it they might order. You know, they're getting orders. A lot of them were telling me they're getting about two to three weeks of business of people buying uh, in two or three days. Right. So 
the the panic buying has ramped up demand by about sevenfold. Um, so they're having a hard time keeping up, right? The shelves are going empty. They're putting in orders, but this is going on across the planet right now. It's it's everywhere, you know. It's Australia, it's the States, Canada, UK, everywhere in Europe. I don't know what's going on in China. I imagine it's not all that different. So you've got a real problem because now we have a problem of production. And if you have a problem of production and you suddenly increase the amount of money in the system, that's the perfect recipe for runaway inflation, right? Um, now, whether or not that money is going to find its way into ordinary people's hands is a different story. And, you know, a lot of people were wondering, instead of, you know, giving all this money to the bank, why don't they, you know, that 1.5 trillion would have been enough for everyone to, you know, I've heard this and I, I don't know if the math works out, but that's kind of irrelevant because the idea is right. Okay, so 1.5 trillion say that was enough to uh, offer everyone, pay for everyone's health care, uh, pay for the student loans that are outstanding, uh, pay for I don't know, people's mortgages or whatever it is. But here's the problem. And this is my guess as to why the Federal Reserve has all this money all of a sudden they pull out of they pull out of their ass basically 1.5 trillion dollars and there, there's more to come okay that that's just the beginning and they just basically make it available to the banks and to the financial sector and they don't give it directly to the people so what are what are those institutions going to buy compared to what the people are going to buy? Okay, so if you give $1.5 trillion directly to the people, um, and I, I'm not saying there's no halfway point and other way to do this, but if you give it directly to the people, people buy consumer goods mainly. Okay, they're, they're not going to buy capital goods to ramp up production for the most part. I mean, some of them might, but for the most part, you know, people are going to go out and they're they're going to have all that. I mean, I saw a lot of people today in the stores that if they had had more money, they would have bought twice, three times as much as they did today. People are having, I could see the stress in their face trying to make this decision. Well, you know, do I purchase this item or this item? I can't, I can't, um, I can't afford both. Right? I've really got to make some choices. I, I'm going to overspend. I'm, I'm going to spend more than I usually would. I'm going to maybe put a bit more on my credit card because I know those things might not be available next week or the week after, or I might not be able to go out and get them because I'm sick or because too many people are sick or whatever it is, or because the uh, local or provincial or federal government puts in place these um these draconian laws that force people to stay in their homes and not travel and all that uh, like they have in, in Italy and, and uh, China um, and that may very well be coming so people are, are going out and, and 
spending money they basically for the most part don't have or wouldn't spend normally because of the uncertainty but if they had more they they'd simply spend more right and what would that do that'll do one of two things either in in the first instance they would do like what happened to the toilet paper it would basically empty out the shelves because people when they're scared they'll they'll buy much more and if you can afford much more then they tend to get that much more um and now to replace that you have a scarce resource you have a limited production then people are gonna jump in there and that's gonna bring up the price okay and i know it's easy to jump out and say oh that's greed but people who produce the items and i'm not talking about the people who bought like i don't know 50 100 times more than they they're going to use for the purpose of reselling at a profit that's an entirely other story but um basically the producers have costs as well and the the raw material and the labor that they need to to increase in order to increase production to 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 keep up with the demand that's increased costs as well right and they have to plan around all that and they you know if if they whatever changes they make or ask people to work overtime to to fill out the demands or whatnot that's that's a real cost that's real human labor cost uh extracting raw material of whatever it is uh cutting down more trees or mining more ore or you know getting more parts that's that has a real cost as well right so you have to you, whether you like it or not that cost that cost is going to get passed on and in the end the end product is going to be more expensive so um you know it's 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 a mix of things but for what it's worth um yeah if you if you have you know it's, it's a basic supply and demand principle if you have i don't know to use a an example of a podcast i saw lately where the person was explaining this if you have 10 oranges and there's 20 dollars circulating in in the economy and that's basically the simplified economy that you have 10 oranges and 20 dollars on average those oranges are going to sell for about two dollars each if you go in and you dump 20 more dollars into that economy and you have 40 dollars for 10 oranges so you haven't increased the production you've increased the money supply well on average those oranges are going to cost four dollars and that doesn't mean that people buying are going to be more greedy it just represents that same percentage of what they're willing to spend to fulfill that need that they have right so if you have a breakdown in production which we do now and on top of that we start injecting a whole bunch of money uh and that money makes its way out into the general economy um you know prices are going to go up huge now the first people to acquire that money will be getting everything at a rebate very similar to the people that go out when they start to learn for example that you know there's toilet paper running out in australia and you're in canada and then they go okay there's an opportunity to make a profit i'm gonna go out and buy all the toilet paper at the price right now so you're not paying the demands um increased 
but the prices haven't adjusted to the new demand. So you're spending, you're gonna take the risk that that demand is gonna ramp up. You're gonna buy everything up. And then when there's a shortage, you can sell at what would be the going price. Okay, now there's no, there's this, con- there's this um, concept of fair price. And fair price is basically where demand and supply meet. And that's very dynamic, okay? And unfortunately, sometimes, you know, fair price when the the first person to buy way more than he needed would normally have been more. That's when the price wasn't fair because demand was outstripping supply. But the prices that were already fixed didn't represent that so it allowed somebody to to grab more than uh than he normally could have if the prices had matched that right away and then he resells it whatever he figures that people are going to be willing to pay for it okay uh now here's this i mean the reality is you i mean it toilet paper is practical and you know we're talking about one item amongst many here but that seems to be the one that's going on uh in a shortage uh right now the toilet paper is useful but if you have running water in your home you can always wash your bum okay so you're making a decision to buy the toilet paper because you think it's still i don't know whatever they're selling it at on ebay they're 40 45 dollars per pack or um you know i saw the South Side Market today uh, still had rolls. I took some pictures. Um, basically, these four tiny little rolls of toilet paper for four bucks. So it's like one dollar a uh, one dollar a roll. Um, I've been in a situation before where the roll of toilet papers were going for ten dollars U.S. a roll. And that was uh, back in the late 90s. I was doing an expedition to Aconcagua, the um, uh, high altitude mountain in Argentina. And for some reason, the whole base camp that was there, it was a huge base camp. It was the 100th uh, anniversary of the first ascension. There was a whole lot of expeditions out there. And most expeditions ran into the same problem they had an excess of food so there was like nobody wanted to carry their food back out and for most part it was like food that would keep and all that so to to lessen the load of walking out for three days with all this extra food that you didn't eat uh, people would actually go around to the other expedition say hey do you guys want this pasta do you want this dry rice or lentils or whatever it was that that they had so they had a bunch of food that they were basically giving away so food at that time was uh, basically free yeah you could get you you i bet you an expedition could have walked out there without bringing any food that year if they arrived late enough in the season and picked up more than enough food and they'd still have something to give away uh, however, uh, everybody ran out of toilet paper, so you know, bad planning. Uh, you know, and and I, I got the shits that year too. So I, you know, there I think there was something in the water as well that uh, wasn't helping the situation. That uh, 
made us um, underestimate the need uh, for toilet paper and uh, also being sick at high altitude uh, sometimes does that. So anyways, uh, we ran out of toilet paper and uh, had uh, helped out um, an organized expedition the previous day because the storm popped up and the uh, the cook was setting up his cooking tent and, and this wind came up and just blew out his, his, uh, his tent and all that. So we went running around uh, picking things up and holding things down while he put it back together. And then when we uh, ran out of toilet paper, we kind of went over to the other expeditions and then uh, we found one guy was willing to sell a roll for for ten dollars us and i was really thinking about it, hesitating and i was lucky enough the uh the fellow i'd helped out uh, the cook came out and saw that he, he could see what was going on and um yeah he came over and just gave me a roll so uh, you know i think uh currency uh, can be many things and sometimes there's real currency and good deeds and goodwill towards other people. So I'm thinking maybe uh, in these times, that's probably a lesson that we're going to learn is, uh, you know, I, I think with this inflation that's coming, maybe people will run out of goods, they'll run out of money. Um, but you don't, you know, these, these are times what I find from what I've seen and this situation here being, you know, this crazy global situation that everybody's in right now um, is fairly new, but hard times in my experience, um, it either brings out the worst in people or it brings out the best in people. And that's a choice that you make every day. <clears throat> and, um, you know, you have to realize that you have to take responsibility for yourself and your actions and then for your family. And then you still have responsibility for your community. There's people that are going to need help. Ran into uh, a friend today at the grocery store. He had uh, been fighting cancer um, last year, had recovered. And I hadn't seen him in a while. And um, he was limping quite a bit. And he told me that he broke his femur five weeks ago. He's walking on it. I broke my femur as a kid and I, I wasn't walking on it for quite some time. So, And it turns out that uh, <clears throat> it wasn't a hard fall or anything like that. He actually, uh, uh, they actually found when he broke his leg uh, that he's got bone cancer. So now <clears throat> I think he's going back in next week or in two weeks for um, radiation treatment. And, uh, you know, and that's happening to him in in the midst of all this chaos in the midst of all this uncertainty uh knowing that you know medical capacities might be completely maxed out with what's going on so i mean that really uh rips my heart out for him it's uh you know and situations like that it could be anybody you know it could be me uh, i was pretty lucky i had a situation that put me in the hospital there for three weeks in the fall but it that was hard enough thank god it wasn't amidst you know a global pandemic so you know once once you've set yourself up um you know don't lose those community ties it's there's a real knee-jerk reaction and i get it too to 
go out and you know hide out with my my stuff in the woods somewhere and you know be like this crazy guy that doesn't know that world war ii has ended and he's still hiding out 20 years after but um i think uh community links and helping each other out that's that's a real precious thing that sometimes we don't hear about a lot in the prepper world uh but really consider making you know you, you have the opportunity here to make some really strong links with people and set aside your differences and be able to talk without uh without insult and without uh condemning everything and just taking the time to, to really listen and um you know on that it reminds me a lot in 2011 i actually you know hooked up with our local Occupy movement here in uh, Revelstoke and one thing that I found that was drastically different then than what I've been seeing in these last few years is that you had the right and the left and everywhere in between and we were actually able to talk in a very civilized very caring way um, for a short period there people understood that the division isn't right and left and rich and poor it's you know we're all there's a real um there's a real need for the people in power to divide the average folks because so long as we're divided it's easy to rule and um, with what's going on it's going to be a real temptation to use the powerlessness and the, the the fear of the people to get them to react and demand more controls and demand that government do something and demand that their leaders take charge. And that can be a really, really bad play. And that'll stem from people not having paid attention and not getting prepared, but it'll also stem about um, from people that are prepared not willing to to listen and extend out a hand you know and you're allowed your boundaries but you have to understand that in desperate times people do desperate things and so um yeah it's important to uh, to to use those tools like you know precision instruments and I, i've made that mistake before too but you know you want to design life with a with a little scalpel not necessarily with a battle axe for lack of a better comparison all right um so tell me what you think uh what the what i'm expecting in the next uh little while so you know i i wouldn't be entirely surprised if the banks didn't open next week uh i've said that before they probably will <clears throat> but with all these disruptions and the um this on uh just in time delivery system and these overnight lending rates where you know accounts have to be settled overnight between the banks and all that this much disruption in the market in the supply chain uh it may not be right away but it's gonna affect 
people's capacity to pay all these um, events that are canceled. Uh, I'm looking at the tourism industry here in Revelstoke. Um, right now there's people in town, but those trips were booked ahead of time. And, and even though, you know, the outbreak was starting, they're like, oh, well, you know, we already paid. We, we've got our flights planned. It's all booked. We're going to go. But, um, but nobody's, nobody's booking anything for like the hotels aren't being booked for the summer, uh, flights. I just learned that they were actually, uh, Vail Resorts is actually closing down huge number of, um, resorts, including Whistler Blackcomb. So, I mean, I've got friends that guide out there. That's going to be, I'm going to give him a call pretty soon this week here, get the pulse, um, what's going on there, you know, the backcountry guys and, uh, the resort people, but that's, that's, I mean, that's huge. I mean, for Whistler, that's basically it. That's their economy. In, in Revelstoke here, we do have tourism. It's, it's big, it's a big chunk of it, but we, I mean, we've got the railway, we've got, uh, forestry, uh, we've got the dam, we've got a, f a few other industries as well. But having said that, I mean, once things, one, once one sector of the economy crawls to a halt, there's a real contagion effect, especially when, you know, borders are being closed and travels being restricted. I mean, that's, that's gonna, I'd expect that to have a lasting impact. So I don't think, I, I think the coronavirus is going to be reasonably short lived. It'll probably peak in, in a month or two. Um, is my guess with the measures they take. I don't know how good the measures that they're taking, how much difference it's really making now that it's gotten into the different countries, even if you close the borders. I, I, I'm sure it can help somehow, but um, it might slow down the progress so that the healthcare system can keep a handle on, thing, on things. But, um, but that's going to peak. But I think the damage that's gonna, it's going to do to the economy while this is happening, the restrictions are being increased. Um, I, I can't see that that's not going to explode the dollar. Like with, with the amount of money they're going to pump in to try to save the system, you can't, you can't have your cake and eat it too, right? So, um, yeah, I, I'm really considering restarting the stoke currency um that i introduced in 2012 for revelstoke um i'll give out some links below if anybody wants to take charge of that i don't know that i'll have the time i've got a we're expecting a baby in july uh and and i already have my hands quite full but if somebody's willing to help with that, I think um, I think there's real potential to get people to produce and exchange stuff that wouldn't normally be produced in exchange if an alternative currency didn't uh, didn't exist. So, uh, if anybody is interested with that, leave some comments below, and I'll check those out. Um, and for people in other communities, that system that we use for the Stoke currency. That's actually a worldwide system run out of uh, South Africa, actually. And it's, it's very well done. 
so if you want more information about alternative currency systems for barter and exchange, uh, leave some comments and I'll, uh, I'll send you the links. Um, I really feel there's going to be a real demand for that stuff to be able to trade locally and encourage people to produce that would normally just stay and wait for the government to, to come out and help. I mean, I don't know if the governments of the world are going to be overwhelmed with what's going on. So if anything, you know, if they come through and that's what you're hoping for, fine, but I wouldn't sit there and just count on that. So um, the first step, of course, is what people have been doing. They've been going out and buying stuff that can help them last, you know, a few weeks uh, without having to, you know, go to the store and, and in case, you know, banks close and stores close or whatever. But after that, you have to think, how am I going to produce those things for me? And you don't necessarily have to produce everything, but if you can produce something that you feel is going to be of value to yourself and others, then you trade in your surplus for some, somebody else that's doing the same. And you'd be surprised how big a difference that can make sometimes. And it can be services, it can be goods. Uh, we're used to very cheap goods, right? Made in China. Um, electronics, stuff that you know we've gotten to take for granted but um it's it's quite you know if you have to make those things that are made you know in a corporate setting in a, an assembly line from scratch by yourself you'll find that that the cost of the human labor cost of making something like that is is almost unsurmountable so you have to kind of think of what what the essentials are going to be the other thing i would really recommend is if you're given the opportunity to um, have a say whether or not certain rules can be relaxed like we've been um, caring for animals within city limits for a while despite people sing rules against us we we've had to one of the hardest things we've had and one of the biggest obstacles we've had to our own production has not been the actual difficulty and, and challenges of, of animal husbandry it, it's been people complaining for no reason about stuff that doesn't really affect them just because they know oh it's this rule and if you do it then everybody will start doing it or, or whatnot well you know right now if everybody started doing it it'd be a bloody good thing right we had chickens um laying eggs on this property when it wasn't allowed okay and people not everybody a lot of people were quite happy and we exchanged eggs and all that but some people were really yeah they just wanted to be pricks i guess and just oh it's not allowed and i'm like well are the chickens going on your property are they damaging something what what damage or injury are they causing you and none but it's not allowed okay and it's that kind of attitude that enslaves us makes us dependent on a system that you know when the system doesn't work anymore you're in real desperate need and it just ticks me off because those are the people they're going to need those animals the most because they they don't do that stuff, right? They, they want these nice, clean, neat properties and 
no noise and no smells and and all that and that's their focus well that's that's fine and dandy when you're getting all your processed food from the grocery store it, when the system breaks down that doesn't work anymore and i've said this for years we we live in an extremely extremely efficient system but an efficient system isn't necessarily a secure system right the more efficient something is the more susceptible it is to having one part of it break and then the rest um, falls apart and it's the same with currencies I've, I've worked with currencies quite a bit and we have a very efficient currency uh, the debt-based system we have now for for all its wrongs and all its bad sides it's extremely efficient at getting people to produce and overproduce okay that's why people complain they're overworked and they're tired and you know it's overconsumption but that's what it's good at uh for better or for worse and we've had an abundance of stuff and and i think that's why there's such a movement to recycle and i remember you know <clears throat> learning of robin the pache family and uh building his earthship and then i looked into the earthship model and it came from you know came from this uh, architect in uh, New Mexico um, and it's basically using like old tires and bottles and, and stuff that's so abundant it's just laying in landfills and reusing that to make these beautiful structures efficient stru structures efficient homes uh, it's quite labor intensive though but um, you know so we, we live with all this abundance and there's real potential that's not being tapped into it's just starting now to get tapped into reusing all this material to build great things um homes right um so the money system we have is very efficient for overproducing but it's also extremely fragile i was in the shipping industry for a while and you know things are things are being shipped every day and so they're being spent every day and so it's just in time delivery you're always like 24 48 hours from running out of stuff and uh and when something like the coronavirus comes along and you have like an extremely debt-filled debt-based money system that's based on nothing but the power of government to tax you in that form of money right everybody understands that the only reason why everyone starves for dollars or pounds in the UK or whatever your current your local or your um, I should say your national currency is called is that your government taxes you in that form and will only accept payment in that form and it creates an artificial demand for something that has no inherent value and the value is derived from its its being a debt to someone so every dollar that circulates is owed plus interest to somebody and although it's been floated that that means because it's owed plus the debt it the debt can't be repaid because it's owed plus interest right um that's not entirely true because the debt and the interest is collected a little bit at a time so it's dependent on that money circulating right and this is the real problem so long as the money circulates you can have less money then there is total debt even like total old capital you can actually function with less actual money so long as it's circulating but 
when you hit, get an event that frees up the credit market, all of a sudden the money stops stop circulating. And if the money stops circulating, then you're not getting that money to be able to pay back mortgages, credit cards, car payments, right? And that means that whoever is supposed to get that money also owes money. It's, it's this huge pyramid scheme. Everybody owes to somebody else. And as soon as it stops, then, you know, it's like damming up a river. It just, that dry spot just trickles downstream and dries up the whole thing. Um, so if we're like fish in water and you dam up the river, everything downstream, eventually it catches up to you and all the fishes die. So even if you, that money's always exchanged for goods, right? So if you have a lack of goods, even if you pump more money into it, it doesn't change the fact that the goods aren't there. So that just brings up the amount of money you need to pay them. So it's, you see, it's, you can't solve the problem that way. So I, I expect to be, I expect there to be within, I'd say within one to eight weeks, a real problem with the financial sector, with the banking sector. Um, and it'll take one of two forms, either, um, the money will just run out, which is basically, well, you know, people lost their jobs because because there's interruptions and then there's no production here. So there's no demand there. And then the contagion effect is that, you know, people lose their jobs. So other people lose their jobs and also nobody has money to pay back their debts. The other form it could take is the government suddenly says, well, you know, we're, we're going to give out money so that people can purchase the goods and all that. And then the goods, this might be a slower process and it'll probably feel good initially, especially if you're among the first to get the money, which is doubtful because usually they don't give money to people like you and me. They'll give money to the banks, the, the, the corporations, they're the ones who get the money. But eventually that money seeps into the economy and the goods aren't being produced at the same rate, then you can get runaway inflation. As the money starts to circulate, there's panic buying because the goods aren't there. And so the spending happens as fast as the money's coming out. And you get this runaway inflation, this increase in the, the money velocity until the whole thing just blows up. And maybe that's something that's been brewing for a long time now that's inevitable. So if something is inevitable, the only thing you can do is um, decide how it's going to happen and who it's going to benefit and who it's not going to benefit. Okay. And since I'm not in charge and you're not in charge, I can trust that the people who are going to decide who benefits are going to make themselves benefit and their cronies and their, their friends around them. I don't think it's going to serve you and me. That being said, I've seen, especially with my experience in the hospital uh, this fall, that good people, even in a very rotten system sometimes, can make such a difference. 
And I encourage each one of you to be those good people that um, <clears throat> that still cares. And uh, I know it can be a lot to ask in, in tough times, but it's so important. It doesn't take 100% of the people to do that. Sometimes if we can get one in 10, get one in 10 people acting out of real goodwill and doing their best and still caring, that can make a huge difference in people's lives and in the outcome as well. So let me know what you think. If you have some questions or stuff that you'd like covered, uh, write them down in the comments. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. I'm going to go up and watch a little show and snuggle into bed with my kids a little bit and, and enjoy the evening. Don't forget to be grateful every morning, every evening before you go to bed because it's a hell of a lot easier to find everything that's wrong in the world and everything that's not working out than the stuff that is. But if you're listening to this podcast and I'm still here making it, there's still some good things happening and there's still stuff to be thankful for. So take care of yourselves and I'll talk to you very soon. Okay, bye.